You are listening to Talking I.O., a podcast about technology in the real world, where we discuss enterprise technology, how to sell it, and how it best helps your customers. Your hosts are Christian Cloud and Stuart Harmon, and we work for Dell EMC. Follow us on TalkingIO.com or on Twitter at TalkingIO. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Talking I.O. This is Stuart Harmon. Good afternoon. It's Christian Cloud. All right, Christian. Hey, thanks for joining, um, as always. And with us today, we have Bill Doxson. Uh, I will let Bill introduce himself in just a minute here. Uh, Bill, thank you for joining us. We're really excited today. Uh, the show is the future of the server, so we know what a server looks like today. Uh, Bill is with our office of the CTO, and he's going to be talking us through what, server, what are servers going to evolve into in the the long-term horizon. So, Bill, uh, if you wouldn't mind taking a minute to introduce yourself. Uh, hi, my name is Bill Dawkins, and I am a Dell Fellow in the Server and Infrastructure Systems Group of Dell EMC um, in the office of the CTO. And um, my role is to I, – I, I cover a number of technologies, but two of my most important projects that I'm working on are subjects of server disaggregation and memory-centric architecture, and uh, um, working with you know my colleagues on the server uh, CTO team, our global CTO team, and our engineering and marketing teams, trying to plan out technology strategy for our server division moving forward. That was great. Uh, we're really excited to have you on the show. Thanks again. Um, excited you're our first PhD to come join us. Um, what was your what was your research in? Before you came and joined the the Dell world, uh, <laughs> yeah. So that was, uh, I guess, I finished up in '93. So that was quite a ways ago, and uh, a while ago. And my my research was in um, performance prediction of parallel computer systems. And back at that time frame, uh, massively parallel computing systems were all the rage, um, and we were building simulations of those early architectures. Uh, I shouldn't necessarily call them early, but, you know, compared to where we are today with uh, high-performance computing, it was very early. And, uh, um, you know, so it's performance analysis and uh, um, parallel processing were my areas of, of research. So you've seen the future come and go a couple of times? Yes. <laughs> have you kind yes, of worked, worked on some future projects? That That's really, <laughs> uh, that's really exciting. Were there any, just off the top of your head, were there any things that you guys were sure were going to happen in, in a five-year horizon that just didn't, or anything that you uh, just didn't see coming at all that, that, that showed up out of nowhere, or has it been a pretty, we're planning five years out and we're, we're, we're course correcting as it comes and we see the future as it rolls up. I would like to say that I predict the future with a hundred percent accuracy <laughs> every time. Excellent. Um, well, I'm that good at it. No, uh, <laughs> there are, there are, uh, I can tell you that we, we do have to, um, we do have to prepare for to be ready to jump if things don't go exactly the way that we're expecting as technologists. Um, I can give you some examples of technologies that came a lot faster than we expected and some of them that morphed into things that we didn't expect. Um, I don't when I started at um, Dell back in 99, Infiniband was, um, you know, going to be, um, you know, replacing almost every every interface inside the, the computer. Uh, and FanFan has found a, a, a great place in the ecosystem today as a high-performance message passing architecture, but it 
didn't replace PCIe, which people were expecting it to. Um, another thing would be flash tech, uh, flash media. Um, you know, uh, a lot of us were surprised how fast we knew flash media was going to be the media for all active data. Um, and and uh, I don't want to predict the death of the hard drive. It's going to be around for um, long after my career goes away, um, or you know I retire. Um, but uh, uh, we were, you know, we were surprised at how I was surprised at how fast flash media technology just exploded and uh, um, became the home for all active data. Very cool. Uh, we talk a lot on the show because it's, you know, a seller focused show uh, around kind of the, you know, obviously the talk tracks we hear all over Dell and all over the market are digital transformation. I mean, a lot of what we're talking today is the infrastructure, the future infrastructure to support that um, with. Do you see the speed of disruption happening faster in our industry? We talk about it in, you know, cars and cabs and airplanes. Do you, do you think you're going to see more unknowns thrown at you in the the coming future as things move faster, or do you think this is still such a uh, a research um, long? It takes so long to build a lot of these products that that it won't change as fast as maybe some other industries that that we're seeing disrupted. I, I think you know I think the the pace at which new technologies are being introduced and new ideas are being introduced is um and 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 what i've been doing it's it's always been the same pace which is a constant state of disruption <laughs> um so i mean it, it's it, it's uh, uh there's always new ideas coming uh and if there aren't then i don't have a job so uh, that's always a good thing uh but i think the pace is 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 uh, uh i wouldn't say it's increasing i think we go in spurts and and uh uh, where you're going fast or very fast, um, but uh, uh, I, I, you know, I, I think for us, uh, what's what's uh, what's really interesting is the space of you know digital transformation and digital, you know, how our customers are having to having to deal with um, technologies in ways they haven't had to before that's leading us to come up with more creative solutions and I think you know I think we're going to have to have to uh, um, you know increase that pace of working with our customers and understanding where they are in this you know in their digital transformation um, you know I think I think especially when there's these meta trends of like um, you know, Internet of Things. We're going to have all these devices. Um, one study I saw showed that there was going to be over 50 billion Internet-connected devices by the end of 2020, and all of those generating data and all of that data needing to be processed so, so you know, companies can, you know, mine that data for insights that they can use to, you know, be more competitive and and you know, companies that you wouldn't expect to be data mining companies or data compute companies um, are, are going to be data compute companies in order to be competitive. And they're going to be looking at their IT organizations to be not only a place for, you know, infrastructure support, but be a place for finding these insights and, and driving new business. 
and mining that information for ways to be more competitive and to serve their customer better. And so, um, you know, that's going to lead to challenges where they're going to look to, you know, the industry to help them solve that. And I think that that pace of disruption is increasing. We used to, um, Stuart and I like to use an example in trainings that uh, Home Depot became a software company once they realized that Amazon sells more hammers than they do. So that's like what you just said, like, beautifully articulates that point. Um, what do you say that some of the challenges are that, a cus- that companies are facing um, in terms of uh, um, the amount of data that they're having to deal with now? I think the problem is, is that customers are, you know, they're, they're going to be inundated with data moving forward. And, you know, I mentioned that there are 50 million or 50 billion internet connected devices in 2020. And then another study I saw said that there's going to be 180 zettabytes of data created annually. So customers aren't just creating this data and storing it. Um, what their challenge is going to be is how do I process that amount of data? How do I do more processing on it as I adopt technologies like machine learning and AI to drive, you know, um, new business out of that data or new strategies out of that data? And because of that, they're going to need more processing power, more accelerators in their compute architecture. They're going to need to be more efficient in the way they process data because they're going to have exponentially more of it. So, you know, the problem is, is that uh, the opportunities that they're going to have are going to be great, but the amount of data and processing they need to do on that data is growing exponentially. And so that's the challenge that they're going to have. How do they do this efficiently? And how are they going to have more agility in their infrastructure so they can, you know, change their IT infrastructure as their workloads change? And I think that's the, uh, those are, you know, a couple of the biggest issues that they're going to face in the future. So it sounds like from what you're saying, I, I can identify perhaps two issues, so or I, I should say challenges. Um, one is what you're saying from a management perspective, like the, there's a, you know, what what is the hardware and the tools necessary to be able to analyze, process, and capture that data? But then um, kind of something else I'm kind of picking up on, too, it seems like uh, there's a, also maybe a, um, a challenge with the staff. Um, people now are having to be required to understand how to manage those tools, um, and that's something that's a little bit new in terms of uh, IT or innovation that I, I don't think that people had to consider like maybe even four years ago, four or five years ago. Yeah, I think I think there, are, in some ways, their infrastructure is getting easier as we get better at man, you know providing tools. In some ways, um, managing the infrastructure is going to get more challenging because they need to be, um, you know, they need to be more agile. As in, and I'm sorry to use the term agile because that uh, um, uh, that has connotations in software, uh, you know, software development. But you know, I mean, they need to be able to to uh, adjust to their changes in workflows and their changes in in, in environment. Uh, and again, as companies look toward their IT to be more than you know, the framework on which their business runs, but 
actually be uh, primary contributors to the profitability of the business. You know, you know the uh, the IT infrastructure and the people who run IT are going to need to be more responsive to that, and, and I think it does make things more challenging for them. So I like to um, when when I'm uh, speaking with customers. I like to try to identify what the event is that's changing the environment that would lead them to having a conversation with someone like yourself. So if the event is increasing data, what would you say are some of the uh, – what, what are some of those conversations that look, that look like when you're in, when you're speaking with customers or, um, and, and C-level execs? Yeah, so, so I think it – you know, I think um, you know, some of the challenges I pointed out earlier about um, – you know, you've got more data, and not only that, you need to do more processing on that data. And, you know, the challenges that we face is that even with our normal pace of performance growth and compute power, um, we need to actually change some of our architecture to, to keep on that trajectory, to keep up with what our customers are going to need to do in the future. So when I talk to customers, I start talking about the technologies we're looking at to make sure that that you know we as an industry are going to be able to continue to drive the growth in you know compute power exponentially year over year and drive the cost down when measured by true you know cost per cycle of compute power down exponentially year over year. And if we're going to keep those trends moving forward, we've got to adopt new technologies um, and change our architectures in the future. Um, and this is a, a journey over time, but that's where, you know, I'm looking at um, incorporation of, of new memory um, semantic fabrics that kind of change the way we address peripherals. Um, that's a technology called Gen Z is, um, and it really enables what my main project is, is server disaggregation. And then uh, we also talk about um, uh, how to adopt some of these uh, new merging persistent, uh, merging persistent memory technologies um, that are coming out. These are um, memory technologies that are orders of magnitude faster than flash. And, and much larger in density than DRAM, so they slide right in between flash memory and uh, or flash storage and, and DRAM into a place that we call storage class memory. And that requires a new infrastructure to take full advantage of. And, um, you know, that's what we're working on internally uh, as a research project within the CTO office and also, you know, working with the industry on so let me. Uh, so okay. to, Go ahead. I'm sorry, Bill. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say this, these are these are conversations we have co with customers to make sure that uh, um, you know where we think we need to go. That the customers also believe that that'd be a benefit to them. So you mentioned a couple of terms that might be unfamiliar to um, some people, including myself. Um, but from a and and I'll, and I'll hit on a couple of them in just a second. But from a high level, it sounds like. Eerily similar to uh, software-defined, like, you know, like products, let's just say, like VxRail or something like that. So how is what you're proposing different than uh, traditional software-defined architecture? Again, we'll use, like, VxRail, for example. Okay, yeah. So server disaggregation is a term that we're using that is really at the infrastructure layer, and it says, let's, let's try to take all the components in servers, 
strip them out of the servers and put them together in shared pools. And then when you deploy an application, we will use the infrastructure to build you a true bare metal server on the fly by connecting these components on the fly. And that is a true bare metal build, bootable server where you can install an operating system. So that's that's the limit of server disaggregation. It's, it's, um, it's an infrastructure layer. It's not trying to compete with virtualization layers like, you know, um, like you would see in VxRail, or it's not kind of trying to, re, you know, compete with uh, um, uh, uh, container environments like Docker and Kubernetes. What it is is infrastructure. So we expect people to install their virtualization layers on top of this. But what it does allow us to do is, is that's where we're talking about helping our customer is, uh, you know, when, when virtualization came along, its original value prop was, um, you know, let's improve server utilization. And, um, you know, there's a whole bunch of other values that came later, which I think are the, you know, much more important, which is like live migration and, and adding fault tolerance and, and resource management to the application. Uh, but the first thing that the hypervisor was, let's push up server utilization. Uh, what we're trying to do here is even push that a, a little bit further and push CPU and server, you know, server resource utilizations even higher by allowing people to build the exact server they want for their workload at the time the workload is deployed and not when you purchase the equipment. And then, you know, what's really cool about that is, is if you get it wrong, you can add resources as a server on the fly and it's seen as a hot plug event. Or if your workload goes away, uh, you get to return those resources to the pool and build a new server exactly like your new application that comes out. So it's really cool, cool technology, but it's not trying. It's very complementary to those. Uh, it's it, it feels like it's almost com like you get the best of multiple worlds. You get the best of bare metal containers and virtualization uh, from what you're saying, like you know, in a rudimentary way of saying that. It just sounds like you're getting the best of all worlds. What we're yes, you're you're getting the best of all worlds. I want to be clear: we're not trying to uh, uh, not trying to diminish those other layers at all. What we're trying to do is those other layers are deployed on servers today. What we're trying to do is trying to make the server layer even more flexible for them, so that at the end of the day, um, you know, we've got this concept that you'd have a piece of software that somebody would send a server profile to, and that software would go out and talk to the resource pools, pull resources off of them configure the rack scale fabric to connect them all together and then give you a bare metal server. At the end of the day, we'd like to see these upper layer orchestration layers like, you know, the virtualization orchestration systems like vSphere or, or um, you know, others would talk to that software directly so that the administrator would never even have to go down and, and, and touch, you know, our disaggregation layer. But what he would see is a much more uh, a much more flexible system that would give him better resource utilization and allow you to apply more resources to this expanding data set than you could if you, um, you know, if you were more static and you had leftover resources on every server that were kind of trapped. So, just a, a quick step back here as we're going in, right? You, you mentioned disaggregated servers, memory class or storage class memory. Um, for our listeners that are out there, what are other phrases? Uh, are those very Dell specific phrases or are those very 
Gen Z phrases? Uh, what else should they should they be listening for? What other kind of technology buzzwords or marketing words from other people are out there? Yeah. So, um, so first of all, uh, server disaggregation. Um, I, I won't claim that that I coined that, and I'm not sure where it was coined, but it's a term that that we're using in the the server office of the CTO to kind of distinguish it from composability. So you might have heard of composability, and composability is along the lines of what we're talking about with disaggregation. You've got separate pools of storage compute and networking. And, you know, you can combine those ratios together. And, and there are a number of uh, uh, products out today that, that are composable. But what they don't allow you to do is, is right now composability is limited pretty much to server storage and networking or compute storage and networking. It won't allow you to compose like GPUs or FPGA accelerators or, or um, storage class memory, which I'll talk about in a second. So we started talking about, well, full composability means, you know, you can close everything from all the way from storage up to this super high-speed persistent memory. Um, that got confusing uh, to distinguish between composability and full composability. So that's where we talked about what we really need is a disaggregated server where all the components have been pulled apart and put in these resources. Um, so... Um, you know, that's that's what we're working on. Another buzzword, um, you know, or term that we're using in industry, and it's an industry-wide term, is storage class memory. Um, there's a, a number of competing technologies uh, that are going to be coming out, um, you know, in uh, in the next, you know, few years um, that are, again, they're much faster than flash, and they have the capability of being uh, greater density than DRAM and not as fast as DRAM, but greater density and they're persistent. And so the interesting thing about them is because of their speed, we can't really treat them like block storage anymore. Um, so if you'll remember when, when Flash started, um, you know, becoming really, really prevalent, people started figuring out that you know, the SAS and SATA I.O. stack was not the most um, suited for accessing flash technology. And that's why we invented NVMe. That was to, NVMe was to allow us to get rid of controller overhead and, and really improve the software stack so that, you know, the controller overhead and software stack wasn't overshadowing the speed of the flash device. NV, NVMe did a wonderful job of cutting down that overhead. But now we've got a new technology that's potentially orders of magnitudes faster than Flash, you know, and we I can't a, optimize that software stack anymore. So, I, was, I was working for SanDisk when when I think some of the, the original ones came out. It's essentially uh, NAND chips on um, the memory bus, right? It looks like a stick of memory, big fat stick of memory with NAND yes. chips sitting on it, and then you're not writing through the PCIe or your any other you're just writing straight to, to memory with NAND it was pretty yeah I mean that yeah, stuff's and, amazing and in this case it's yeah and in this case it's it's technology it's not even NAND it's it's something faster than NAND a lot faster than NAND so the first um, you know you've probably heard of 3D Crosspoint um, from Intel that's that's you know, probably the first one that's 
uh, you know, in mainstream in the market now. Um, there's other technologies that you can read about. Uh, but anyway, the, the, in general, we, we can't have any software stack. So we believe that that stuff has to be accessed as memory. And, you know, that's when, that's when, uh, when people talk about composability today, they won't, using the current technologies, they won't be able to disaggregate or compose that super fast memory because they don't have a, an infrastructure that is designed for memory semantic accesses. That's where Gen Z comes in. Gen Z is a consortium um, that's developing a standard for a memory-centric rack-scale fabric. And that rack-scale fabric is designed to handle everything from memory to storage class memory to FPGAs and accelerators. And it's really key for two things. It allows us to build a disaggregated infrastructure for all those components. And two, it allows us to efficiently use storage class memory in our architecture. And that storage class memory leads to what we call a memory-centric architecture where, you know, like I said, all active data is in flash today. In the future, all active data might be in storage class memory and be accessed with memory semantics, and then for long-term storage, it gets pushed off to flash, and then finally, you know, disk for, um, you know, cool archive. Not to, to divert too much, um, how much of a application re-architecture will that be? Is this going to be, right, the technology comes out, and then people are going to have to rewrite every application to take advantage of it? Or do we expect yeah, some so, type of, of so buffer there's two, there? There's two, yeah, so there's two, there's two, Two things. So if you're talking about server disaggregation, and I know we kind of, I, I keep on jumping between projects. Server disaggregation is evolutionary technology. So that means existing infrastructure can take advantage of that right away and uh, doesn't have to make any changes. They might make changes to take it, uh, take advantage of additional features, like you know, um, server disaggregation can add capabilities of high availability that you didn't have before on certain components. So now, you know, I've never been able to hot plug a GPU before, you know, and things like that. Um, but if you're talking about memory-centric architecture and <clears throat> having uh, large amounts of storage class memory, and yes, you are going to have to re-architect the software. It's much more revolutionary in that, it's going to cause changes in the entire ecosystem to fully take advantage of it. Now, there are some things that we can do to make this technology valuable, um, you know, right off the bat. But to take, you know, reach the full vision, we've got a, a vision of, of uh, you know, software being able to determine what portions of its data need to be held in this super fast persistent layer and what portions need to be held in a super fast non-persistent layer such as DRAM and make intelligent decisions on how to tier their data up and down those layers of memory like they do in storage today. But, um, you know, now they have to do it in memory and that's never been done before. So it will take changes in the software ecosystem to do that. Very cool. Uh, 
So do you see in the next few years, especially as we get closer to the this disaggregated server and, and, and full compostability, um, do you see that in the short term taking over or maybe the, the, the mid long term, you know, five years out or so uh, really changing how we, you know, today we deliver a server and you got hardwired processor and memory and, and buses and you slide out your drives in and out, right? And it's all kind of hardwired in one set and you order it in configuration styles. Uh, I am staring at the Gen Z picture that's part of one of your presentations right now where you've got, you know, just trays of kind of a blade style of RAM and flash and GPUs and processors. Um, do you see the whole data center go into that model or do you think there will be a, a very yeah, long-term so think, mix? So there's... Yeah. So first of all, that 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 picture you're seeing is is probably a, a mock-up of it is. that the Gen Z consortium did. It's just a really cool visual, it, as it showed it at one of the trade shows. Yeah, it's a cool visual. Um, so first of all, um, to um, to your point, um, it's not going to replace you know uh, it's not going to replace the standard um, you know our standard servers or you know I'll call them monolithic servers, but you know our standard rack-based servers are always going to be. Um, there's always going to be a place for those. And to really make use of this disaggregated infrastructure, you have to be a data center of a certain size. You've got to buy be, you know, talking about data centers that are, are buying multiple racks to really make, um, uh, to make that economical. And, you know, in my opinion, and again, um, this is, this is, um, you know, this is one more tool in, you know, um, that that we as an industry can offer our customers. And if it makes sense for their environment and what they need to do, then we hope that, that it helps them solve their problem. But, again, you know, uh, I am not going to tell you that this is going to replace the standard one- and two-use servers that data centers are built on today. Uh, so, if you're asking for when does all of this start to happen, um, we're actively working on it now. You know, um, I, I think this is a, uh, 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 right now it's a, a research thing. So I think, you know, I think a five-year time horizon of when it starts to, to reach maturity is, is you, know, um, you know, probably we're talking in the, you know, three to five-year time horizon, uh, at least to, to have everything there um but there might be there might be pieces that work their way into the infrastructure faster than that if i so if i took a wild guess and uh you know i, I would I, the way i would envision it, the hyperscales the facebook's the google's of the world would kind of the service providers would start it would roll down into mid-size rack scale companies and continue its way down and you know in 10 years just as a the throwout number be you know the the third generation out blade chassis architecture that might end up in in a data center somewhere like kind of just continue from the top and scale uh, I, into I a... I would... yeah i wouldn't be that um i wouldn't be that uh far out i think i think you know if you talk to the gen z consortium uh you know you're going to start seeing components for the memory centric fabric start rolling out in the next year or so and, and then as the ecosystem starts to build, it starts to um, starts to uh, uh, enable these architectures in phases. Uh, but if you know if you've got um, you know it, it, it's uh, you know 
it's it's wide open on uh, when all of these things happen. But all I can tell you is we're working um, to make them happen, and and it's we really think it's necessary. And you know, um, it's an exciting time for us because uh, it, it's opening up you know, new ways to use technology and allowing us to you know think about the computer architecture differently than we have before. But at the same time, you don't want to say that that um, it's right for everyone. And so that's why you're still going to have our traditional um, our, our traditional servers that people know and love and have been been using for years. Those are going to continue. I, I will go on a limb right now and say in a hundred years, we still won't have the technology that's right for everyone. Uh, it's going to continue. All so, I know is that all I know is that in a hundred years we're still going to have tape. That's all I know. Amen. That is that is true. I got a couple of buddies that work uh, for IBM and sell a lot, a lot of tape to some real interesting places. Um, I, yeah, no, I just I just know that uh, I just know that I uh, um, I've made the mistake of thinking tape was dead very early in my career, and here we are, thirty years later. And, uh, nope, ain't going anywhere. Nope, it continues to be impressive. Uh, so, you know, everybody that listens to our show knows Christian works for IB, or for Dell EMC. I work for Dell EMC. Uh, you know, Bill works for Dell EMC. Um, but Bill, this is not a right. We're, we're this is not a Dell EMC product. Gen Z is not a Dell EMC consortium. Who else is uh, joining us in this journey for the the next future of the server? So, so I believe there are about. 50 companies in the Gen Z consortium um, and, uh, um, you know, companies uh, like HP, um, uh, VMware, um, uh, Microsemi, uh, Broadcom. I, I think, I think uh, I have to have to look at the, the full list, but, you know, I mean, we've got everybody from, Silicon vendors to a couple of universities to major system providers. It's a it's an open organization, and um, you know uh, we happen to be um, one of the members of our team. Curtis Bowman is the president of the consortium, so we're we're big supporters of Gen Z. Uh, there are other technologies out there that kind of overlap with Gen Z. But Gen Z is the technology we think has the broadest coverage to get us where we want to go. So that's where, why we're supporting it. Instead of diving too deep into this, but what's the technology that you would say overlaps? Uh, there's, there's, it kind of overlaps with um, a, a technology called C6, uh, Cache Coherent Interface for uh, Accelerators, and that's CCIX. Uh, they pronounce it C6. And also open capping, and you know when I say they overlap, they they actually came from all three of those came from kind of different uh, trying to solve different problems, mm -hmm. uh, but they they kind of converge. They kind of ends up they overlap in certain areas. So you know some people might question, well, why don't you just use C six to develop this type of architecture, or why don't you just you know um, just use open capping to develop this type of architecture. Well, we looked at all three. We looked at Gen Z, open capping, and C6. And, you know, it, 
Gen Z had the capabilities to expand the entire rack, uh, and that's where we thought it had the most interest to us, which is allow us to enable this disaggregation model as well as the memory-centric architecture model. All right, so Bill, uh, one thing we like to, to keep another part of this podcast and for our listeners is, is really, you know, as technology moves, we've got to know where our uh, skill sets need to move, right? Um, we, we've talked to ad nauseum, I feel like, but it's still an ongoing conversation, right? You no longer want to be a storage administrator, you want to be a cloud administrator. You know, as this technology changes, um, I know there's some some open source uh, systems management software out there, you know, like Redfish, Swordfish. What other orchestration tools should our customers really be looking at today or maybe experimenting or exploring with um, that they can, that might be part of this infrastructure in the future that they can uh, start to learn today and really, really have a good grasp on that'll maybe ease them into this more easily as they, uh, as the technology becomes more prevalent. Yeah, well, I think I think uh, in the in the infrastructure space and IT space, Redfish is going to become increasingly important. And you know, you know, I talk about um, I, I, I talk about server disaggregation and composability. Well, Redfish actually has a composability model so that you can manage composable systems using Redfish, the Redfish protocol. So you know, as you know, where Redfish really came from was the realization that we need to manage infrastructure at scale. And, um, you know, the, the other technologies that we had at the time didn't allow us to manage servers at scale. So, you know, the industry went off and, and developed Redfish. And I, I, like you pointed out, Redfish is a skill set, or not necessarily a skill set, but understanding that technology and looking for tools that leverage Redfish are, are really going to be important in the infrastructure and, and, and you know, that's why we're enabling Redfish wherever we can. Um, you know, I think when we start talking about other, other tools that, you know, um, people need to start, you know, looking at, it's, it's kind of difficult to say, um, we believe that, you know, or I believe that we're kind of moving into this, this world where we're moving from, the traditional um, enterprise application to a more containerized world, uh, and you know, learning more about the containerized space is a good thing. Unfortunately, I can't tell you how fast that transition transition happens. And as always, there's going to be, like uh, you know, like certain technologies, certain applications are going to be around for a long time, and they're going to stay in their current infrastructure. But I think we're going to be seeing more and more, um, you know, a, a world where where more and more applications are dynamic. Um, they're going to be containerized, and they're, the infrastructure that supports them is going to be need to be more responsive and fluid. Absolutely, that is a, a, a set of conversations that I think we have regularly on this show. Yeah, it's it's going to be. <laughs> We live in interesting times, so yes, it's. it's, it's I, I wish I had all the answers for you. I think we've got more technologists on our team that you might want to talk to about that. For sure, there are plenty of others. Uh, speaking of on your team, what other 
cool projects that we can actually discuss or are you guys looking at, right? You're looking at the future of server. Obviously, you're the CTO or you're looking at the future of everything. Uh, anything else that comes to mind that you can share with us? Yeah, well, I mean, there's there there are other people on our team that you might talk to. I mean, you know, I'm going to it's going to sound like an advertisement for a minute. But, you know, uh, Curtis Bowman is the the president of the Gen Z Consortium. Um, John Haas is the um, uh, president or chairman of the uh, distributed management um, uh, task force, which uh, the MTF, which developed Redfish. Uh, he was one of the, you know, prime backers of Redfish. So, um, you know, Gen Z Redfish or technologies that we're, that we're looking at, uh, you know, uh, we've got members of our team that can talk to you about, uh, you know, machine learning, deep learning uh, is another area that's going to explode. And we got people that, that would, you could talk to about that, uh, High-performance computing, a lot of going on there. High-performance computing has gotten out of the realm of just research in certain large companies and also finding homes in industries you wouldn't expect. And, uh, you know, there's technologies like um, accelerators for almost every type of, of application or function. There's smart, you know, uh, smart NIC technology uh, you know, uh, storage class memories that we talked about, a uh, lot of activity going on, a lot of things that, you know, a lot of this activity is, is all geared around those themes that I told you about, which was uh, part of the thing that's made digital transformation capable for our customers is the fact that we've been able to increase the amount of, of power we give our customers through IT, and that can be you know, the amount of compute power is, is what I'm worried about and it, keep it growing exponentially. Well, we're starting to run into certain laws of physics that we need to get smarter to work our ways around them. And that's what's changing our architecture. And that's why we're starting to see accelerators and all sorts of different, different places to help us keep that trend moving forward uh, so that, you know, our customers can continue to um, transform and, you know, um, become more and more digital. So anyway, I, you know, I don't know if that's exactly what, what you wanted with your question, but that's some of the areas that we're looking at. And, and, uh, uh, and that's just within the server CTO organization. And I should mention that every, um, in, in Dell EMC, every major business unit has their own CTO like function. And then we also have a, uh, a Dell EMC, um, a, a global, uh, a global CTO function uh, group that covers all of, of Dell EMC and kind of, um, you know, looks all across the business unit. So there's a lot of technologists that you can draw from, and and each one of them will probably give you a different answer of which technologies are more important depending on what <laughs> they're working on. Yeah, you don't spend a, a life and a career uh, thinking it's not important. Hey, um, yeah. so as our listeners so try to, one of my projects are the most, yeah, that's yours are absolutely the most important. Um, 
as our listeners are trying to, to get some more education, uh, you know, send them to Redfish. I see the Gen Z consortium. Uh, I thought we had a really good blog on Dell EMC around kind of compostable infra- composable infrastructure. Microsoft really screwed me up with their spell check, changing it to compostable on me. Uh, composable infrastructure um, today and tomorrow I thought was really good. Uh, anything else that – any other places that our, our, our listeners should go look for some new information, additional information? Yeah, so there are there are a couple of places. Uh, so if you want to, you know, as you mentioned, there's there's a, a couple of blogs on the Dell EMC website about composability and server disaggregation. One from uh, Robert Hormuth and one from myself. Uh, and there's also a a podcast uh, a webinar on on composable infrastructure and server disaggregation. Um, that was um, done by Robert Hormuth, myself, and Stephen Rousset. Um, there is, if you go to the Gen Z Consortium, there's a lot of educational material there uh, in the form of presentations on what it's good for, what it's trying to accomplish. There's a lot of uh, information on there. If you want to learn more about Redfish, um, there is actually quite a few um, uh, uh, videos on YouTube on Redfish, and um, uh, they're actually uh, made by a couple of people, but but one person is from our Dell EMC team, who is now, I believe, he heads the the working group that's um, responsible for for releasing Redfish, and uh, inside the DMTF. And anyway, there's a lot of good tutorials on YouTube on both Redfish and Gen Z. And, you know, I think that pretty much covers it. Great. Uh, you said you had a blog out on the Dell EMC site. Is there a social media presence our listeners can follow you on? Do you blog regularly somewhere? Um... Yeah, I, I do not. They can follow me on LinkedIn. Um, and, um, yeah, I'm, I think it's, uh, um, you know, my profile is under LinkedIn. And if it's... Uh, I think LinkedIn.com slash in slash Dawkins. Uh, I'll be under I'll be under Bill Dawkins for Dell EMC, and you can follow me there. Um, and that's uh, that's about uh, the best way to to uh, to see when I've when I've uploaded something new. Uh, I'll definitely be posting a link to this to this podcast after it afterwards. Awesome. Look forward to it, uh, Christian. What am I missing? I can't think of anything. So, Bill, what are what else, or what so, do you really want to highlight well, uh, as a as a follow up here, as a wrap up? Well, I think as a wrap up, I just want to I want to reiterate that because of this world we're we're into, where just data is flying at our customers, and at the same time, our IT infrastructure is in this this struggle where they're asked to do what you've been doing in the past, but do that with less money. And, oh, yeah, um, we need you to process more data and actually be uh, a a source of innovation for our company. You know, that's going to lead them to try new architectures and look to the industry to help, you know, help solve those problems for them. And that's, that's where, that's really what's driving driving our CTO team is trying to understand what are these new challenges and how can we help those with new technologies. And so, you know, 
you know, I would I would suggest looking at some of these new technologies like Gen Z and storage class memory and how people want to use them with like things like server disaggregation and memory centric architecture and understanding them and understanding how they might help you in the future. Now, at the same time, I want to just reiterate that, you know, I've come on here and tried to be open with what we're looking at. We're actively talking to our customers on that. Um, these are, this is research. This is, you know, this is what we, this is us looking into our crystal ball and, and, and trying to predict the future. I can't give you exact time frames when this stuff will hit the market, um, but it is what we're actively working on, and that's, you know, um, you know, this is where we're putting, you know, at least I'm putting my efforts for our company. That's great. I think the research is really exciting. Uh, you know, we'll be make sure to tie off with Curtis a little bit more on a deep dive around Gen Z even further. Um, I think it's really fun and we can come back and hopefully we can come bug in, you know, six months, a year down the road and kind of see what the progress is. And it, it'll be really exciting to see where this this comes to fruition in a few years out here. Like you said, technology. I, I like that very much. It's just been fun. Great, great. Well, we greatly appreciate it. Um, so, again, this is Stuart Harmon. Uh, you can follow me at Stuart at work uh, on Twitter. Christian? I'm Christian Cloud. You can follow me at ccloud.io on Twitter. And today we had Bill Dawkins with us, a PhD fellow with Dell EMC uh, from the office of our CTO, the CTO, uh, discussing with us the future of server. Uh, disaggregated servers, composable infrastructure, and kind of rack scale fabric memory centric architecture. So, Bill, thank you so much for being on the show with us. Uh, I had a really great time. I love this futures conversation. Uh, very excited and hope to have you back soon. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, everyone. This has been another episode of Talking IO with host Christian Cloud and Stuart Harmon. We appreciate you listening. Follow us on TalkingIO.com or on Twitter at TalkingIO. 